Many individuals try to find success on a daily basis. But what defines this success? Where does it come from? When you find a passion in your life and pursue this passion, everything can come together to form success. This is Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. Our guests will motivate you to take the next step to your success. Now, here's your host, David Wallach. Good morning, y'all. It's great to be back on the air after our break last week. Um, my guest today is described by many people and in many media pieces as Mr. Calgary. <laughs> so if you're a Calgarian or maybe even an Albertan, you know that my guest today is the George Brookman. <laughs> Good <laughs> morning, you. George. Good morning, David. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, thank you, George, for being our guest. I'm, I'm sure uh, we're going to have a great show. Uh, I hear you're a storyteller, so probably I have to throw a few questions and then I can relax. You may have to put your hand yeah. up once in a while to stop me, too, you know. Perfect. I going. <laughs> um, first time we met uh, was January two, 2016. Right. Uh, as Calgary and Alberta continued sliding into a recession, we met at a private gathering of local business people. Yes. Uh, mostly entrepreneurs that had one thing in common, and that was we cared about what's going on with our economy. Um, since it was the first time we met, I didn't know at the time how much you cared about our city and our province. And over the past year, I've learned um, more about George and, and found out that you care in bad times as, as well as good times. Well, uh, this this city has certainly been through that, as have most Western cities. And uh, uh, I think Calgary ha- has given me an opportunity. Very few people uh, could say that they've had a, a life like I've had, which has been a bit bizarre, a little bit fun, <laughs> and uh, and reasonably successful. It has ups and downs. But I do care a lot about Calgary. I think it's a fantastic city, very entrepreneurial, and I love it. Um, so when I got to know you, I've, I realized that you're a true ambassador of our city. And, you know, we have a structure for this show. Which I'm going to completely change because it's you. (laughs) And I'm going to start with the last question of today's show. All right. Um, How come George Brookman didn't become the mayor of Calgary? (laughs) Well, even the current mayor asked me that recently. (laughs) I don't know. You know, the idea of sitting in a council meeting and uh, listening to people talk about uh, the uh, fact that their garbage didn't get picked up on Tuesday never appealed to me very much. I always felt like I could do more for the city in other roles, and uh, I certainly have had a wonderful opportunity through the Stampede and through other things that I've done. And many, many people have said to me, you know, throw your hat in the ring to run for mayor. Um, you know, it's not late. Uh, no, no, I know. We have, <laughs> we have elections uh, coming in October. October and 22nd. That's and you are, you are completely a young person. Yeah, well, I like that, too. But anyway... Um, to be, to be honest with you, the, uh, I can't tell you that it hasn't crossed my mind a thousand times. And it's, uh, it would sort of be the next wonderful step after being chairman of the Calgary Stampede. But the reality is it's probably not in the cards. I see. Okay. Uh, so here's, uh, I want to share some information about you uh, with our listeners. Um, you are a native Calgarian. Yeah. And uh, as I mentioned before the show, I think you are the first person I met that is a third-generation Albertans. That's true. Well, you see, I'm, I just slipped under the wire. The truth is my father was a Canadian soldier, fought in Africa, Italy, and then ended up with malaria and went to Holland, where he met my mother. And so uh, they, I always say I was begun in the Netherlands and finished off in Calgary. <laughs> 
so, <laughs> anyway, um, we won't hold being Dutch to again. No, no, <laughs> you ain't much if you ain't Dutch, David. Um, so I'm going to mention a few of the awards uh, that you earned over the years, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but in 1998, uh, you were awarded the Pinnacle Award of, for Business? I think it was 88, but yes, that's right. Uh, in 2008, you were given the Distinguished Business Leader Award presented by the University of Calgary Haskam Business School and the Calgary Chamber of Commerce. Yes, sir. And uh, you also received the honorary degree in Applied Technology from Southern Alberta Institute of Technology, Polytech Institute. You are correct. Um, so that was the easy Shocking. part. That, that was the easy part. <laughs> now I have a question for you because I have here a list that is over a page. Do you remember how many boards you're on? Over the years, I've been on a number, but the significant ones are now Obsidian Energy. Uh, I spent uh, many years on the Calgary Stampede Board. I was on the Board of Rotary. And let, let me help you. Okay. No. <laughs> Is that necessary? <laughs> Calgary Flames Foundation. Yes, I'm still Calgary on. Stampede Foundation. Yes. Settledon Foundation. Canadian Global Affairs Institute. Yes. Castle, Castle Avery Hospitality. You're past president of the Stampede, the yes. Calgary Stampede, the greatest outdoor show on earth. The greatest outdoor show. You're on past earth. president of Rotary Club of Calgary. Yes. Chairman of Tourism Calgary. Yes. That's why I ran off room on my computer. <laughs> <laughs> and I was on the board of Travel Alberta as well. Um, so is this sufficient or you want to cover more? No, there's plenty. More? I don't <laughs> okay, think you okay. And today you are the CEO and co-owner of West Canadian Digital Imaging. That's correct. Uh, Canada's leading digital print and document management organization. Yes, sir. Uh, West Canadian has over 300 employees. Uh, yes. With three locations uh, in Alberta and two in Ontario, an additional 23 uh, on-site services locations all done, across the country. You've done some good research, David. We used to operate out of Toronto as well, in Toronto and Vancouver, but we sold that uh, part of the company about four years ago. <laughs> so, you know, when I uh, when we did our, our research, I kind of found a few birds flying around Calgary that know you and uh, asked them to whisper a few things into my ear. That can be worrisome. <laughs> so, do you remember, and you know, most of them are very involved with the Calgary Stampede. Yeah. We, just, we just completed a great Stampede. Uh, one of the best we had in the last probably decade, uh, years, yeah. especially coming out from uh, a recession time. Um, so I want to chat a little bit about the Stampede, and maybe people will get to know you through that. Absolutely. Um, do you remember your first job at the Stampede when you volunteered? I absolutely do. I was uh, called up by a friend of mine, Danny Coppathorn, and he said, uh, we need somebody to stamp hands at the airport. In those days, we, when people get off the plane, we had a little branding iron that had a rubber stamp on the end with a happy face that had a cowboy hat on it. So we stamped their hands as they got off the airport, off the airplane, and we had a tape that played cattle uh, moving you know, <laughs> in the background. But the tape was only 10 minutes long, so every 10 minutes we had to go over and rewind the tape. And that was my first volunteer job at the Stampede. I spent uh, a weekend of stamping people's hands, mostly Americans who were arriving from uh, uh, from the States coming to the Calgary Stampede, and I had a lot of fun doing it. <laughs> how, how was the response by people? Were they oh, it was fun. We had little shoots, and we made them walk through it. And uh, there's always some that wonder what they're, you know, we said this is if you want to re-enter the States, you have to have your hands stamped. So, uh, so uh, it seems to me from reading uh, a little bit about your history that you are kind of out of the books thinker. Yes. And uh, when you joined, after you joined the Stampede, you also joined the Grandstand Committee. Committee. Yeah. Now, does an elephant remind you of something? Yeah, I was uh, on the committee and we had an elephant on the stage. 
and the elephant had chosen that moment to uh, to um, do his daily ablutions on the grandstand stage. <laughs> and if you haven't seen an elephant do ablutions, believe me, it's major work. The, the classic story about that, though, was that the choreographer was a woman named Margot McDermott, and a young fellow named Bill Avery had taken over that show. And his father had run the show and created the show with our former premier, Peter Lougheed, several years earlier. And that night after the first show, when the elephant had done this, left his business on the stage, um, I remember Margot coming in and she said, that never happened when Randy Avery was in charge of the show. <laughs> and everybody looked at her like, really? The truth was that she was right. We didn't know that, but Randy had been an old vaudevillian, and he knew that you never feed the elephant before the show. <laughs> <laughs> How did the crowd respond? Well, just laughed. And, of course, there was, there was, you know, there was a big committee then, 22 people, I think, and, uh, and we pointed to the two youngest people on the committee and said, here's a shovel, here's a broom, your job is to clean the stage. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was another kind of event with the uh, Mary Queen Mary stage. Oh, well, that's that's a classic. We had a a big, huge plywood stage which had steel wheels that were filled with concrete, and we would drag the stage out. And literally, the fellows would dig four holes in the racetrack, and the stage would drop into this into these four holes. And that was how the stage lined up because we have a permanent stage. So if you haven't been to Stampede. The stage for the grandstand show was very, very large. Anyway, it was my last night as chair of the, of the grandstand committee. Another uh, volunteer, Russ Tynan, had come up to me and said, well, congratulations, George, you did it. And just at that moment, we heard this huge harumph, and the stage dropped. The wheels fell off the stage halfway down the racetrack, and uh, what a disaster. But anyway, there were uh, two cat caterpillar tractor operators there. They brought their cats over, picked up the front end of the stage, pulled it over to the lined up and we did the whole show with the tractors holding up <laughs> holding up the stage and then we went out and bought ourselves a brand new nine million dollar stage I see it's spectacular uh, my last question about this to <laughs> sure someone stole your idea this year yes well you know that's imitation is the highest form of flattery right <laughs> um I want to tell you another story about the Stampede, but anyway, Steve Allen and I, 20 years ago, suggested that we should reverse the parade. Now, people listening may not know much about the Calgary Stampede Parade, but it's a huge parade, Eight, 800, 1,000 horses, floats, marching bands, the whole thing. But it used to go up for, for 100 years, it's gone up 6th Avenue and back down 9th. And the problem was that the people on 6th, when the, when the parade had passed them by, couldn't get to Stampede Park because the crowd on 9th we're always blocking their entrance. So this year, the uh, Dave Sibbles, the president, he, ch he reversed the parade, and the result was 62,000 extra people, I think, walked into Stampede Park on parade day. They uh, kept the gates open for free until 1.30. I thought it was a brilliant idea. The story I'd like to tell you about the Stampede Parade, David, you know, a lot of rodeos, a lot of rodeos do what they call um, a pink day, or a tough enough to wear pink day, uh, for breast cancer. And so uh, the Stampede had never done that. You know, we're the biggest rodeo in the world, the richest rodeo in the world. And one of our fellows had come to me and said, George, the, the breast cancer people would like us to do a, a tough enough to wear pink on Wednesday afternoon rodeo. And uh, my reaction was, oh, we're the Calgary Stampede. Uh, we can't do what every other little rodeo in, you know, in Salinas, California does. We've got to do something big. So we decided to turn the whole parade pink. And uh, they, they still call it George's Candy Floss Parade. And we 
everything was pink. The tack on the horses was pink. The, the Wrangler sold 18,000 shirts in something like 10 days. And we turned that whole parade route pink. We raised $586,000 in 30 hours. Oh, wow. And then I said the next day, I said, now nobody wears pink on the second day. We didn't want it to become a crusade. Mm -hmm. People still talk about that parade. And I remember getting on my horse that day and riding down the parade route. And I had tears in my eyes because it was pink as far as you could see down the parade route, it was all pink. It was fantastic. I know. That's one of the things that uh, Vern and uh, Steve shared with me. That really? I have to ask you. <laughs> but probably you got, uh, you have, you're connected to my computer because you saw the questions. <laughs> um, enough with the stampede. Okay. Let's talk about George a little bit. So, uh, growing up, what kind of a kid were you? Oh, I was probably pretty nerdy. Um, I was a fat little kid, and uh, my father was in the real estate business. Uh, we had some neat experiences. One of them, my, my dad in uh, in the early 50s was invited to uh, manage a little baseball team at a little town outside of Calgary called Shepherd. And we used to go out there on Sunday mornings and clean off the diamond and, and chase the cows off the field and, and we'd have a baseball game. Well, that was never going to be good enough for my father. And at that point, he had his own real estate company and he had this beautiful bride who was my mother and she was gorgeous. And um, anyway, he... Nothing was good enough. He had to move the baseball team into Calgary. And he called it the Brooklyn Dodgers. And for those of you that remember, that was the Brooklyn Dodgers, was the famous baseball team that became the L.A. Dodgers. Right. And uh, he called it the Brooklyn Dodgers. He got Brooklyn Dodger uniforms, the blue stripes and the blue caps, had the B on it, but except it was Brooklyn instead of Brooklyn. And uh, that lasted three years. When I was 12 years old, I came home from school one day, and my dad said, well, we have something to tell you. We just lost it all. Uh, we've got the house is gone, the business is gone, <laughs> the baseball team is gone, and we're moving to Haysboro, and I've got a job with a with a house builder in Calgary, and that was my first experience with uh, true economic disaster. But uh, we survived it. So, so your father was an entrepreneur. He was a character. Yes, I think he was an entrepreneur, but he was a real estate salesman. And if uh, you, let me stop you for one second before you <laughs> answer. If you tell, if you say you call your father a character. I can tell you the apple didn't fall far from the tree. Okay, continue with your answer. <laughs> he was a he was an entrepreneur and he was a character, and uh, he did like to party. I mean, sometimes I have a sister who was born 13 years after me. I've always told her she was a total accident. I was completely <laughs> happy as an only child, and uh, but she always says to me, you know, George, there's things you learn from your parents, and sometimes it's what not to do and it's a very true statement I think um, but, but that kind of uh, your father being in business and being an entrepreneur kind of you think that that's part of who you are today oh there's no question about it um, it's interesting you know um, we lived up in a, in a what was then a new community of course in the 50s and across the street from us was a was an old railway car and that was where the skating rink was and uh, I went over to go skating one night and I was maybe 10, 11 years old, uh, under 12 for sure, because we moved south when it was 12. And I went over to go skating, and when I came back, I walked back, and my dad said, what's the problem? And he said, there's, I said, there's no ice. So before the weekend was out, uh, he had 10 or 12 guys, and uh, they flooded the rink, and they put up boards, and then the next thing you knew, he built a community hall. And it was, I think it's still one of the biggest community halls in Calgary. It's truly one of the ugliest buildings. It's built out of out of concrete blocks. Which one is it? It's on Mount Pleasant Community Center on 
22nd Avenue and 5th Street Northwest. Okay. And uh, But it's still there, and it's still huge. <laughs> and and uh, I remember him and, and, his, and his friends, our neighbors, uh, hammering up drywall. And somebody years later said, that's where you got it from, George. If, you, if the community needs a community hall, go build a community <laughs> hall. And he didn't pay a cent for it. I think Galeli Sand and Gravel donated all the bricks, and it was an amazing story. So, uh, so, so you said that you are a nerdy kid? I was very dirty, yes. Yeah, yeah. I still think I am, actually. No sports, no, no just sports, books no, and... Uh, no books and, uh, and bikes, and I, I played volleyball, but not very well. I, and I avoided baseball like the plague, and so I didn't... No, I was no sports. I see, so that's why you were on the Flames Foundation. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I'm, I'm the voice of reason. <laughs> and sometimes, David, I have to say this, sometimes, you know, I'll be in a room and somebody will walk in and they'll say, and this is... You know, Fred Schwartz, he's the quarterback for the Calgary Stampeders. And I go, oh, nice to meet you, because I have no idea who he was at that point. <laughs> I see. And, uh, uh, and uh, you know, I have uh, one last question probably before we have to go into our first commercial break is, um, you kind of, after school, what did you do? University, college, or just no. straight to work? Yeah, straight to work. I got married when I was 20. And I was working for uh, what was then a major department store in Canada called Woodward's, mm -hmm. um, very similar to Nordstrom's in, in, their, in their attitude. And I had a good job. I was uh, 20 years old. And one day my dad came in. He said, you know, I'm going to ask you a question. I always remember the moment. He said, if you became the general manager of this store tomorrow, you think that'd be impressive? And I said, well, I don't know. And he says, let me ask you a different question. If there's a fire downtown, can you leave right now and come watch the fire with me? And I said, no. He says, you better get a real estate license. <laughs> and, uh, he, you know, the amazing thing is, David, when I got married in 1967, I quite proudly put down on my apartment application that my annual income was $4,800 a year. Yes. $4,800 a year. The second year we were married, I went in the real estate business, and I made $13,000 a year. And I thought, you're rich. This is the, the, this is the road to riches. It's never <laughs> going to turn around. Uh, we have to take our first commercial break. Uh, make sure to open a new tab. Check West Canadian Digital Imaging website, www.westcanadian.com. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram and like them on Facebook. And connect with them on LinkedIn. We will be back shortly after the commercial break. Thank you very much. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's D-I-V-I Wallach at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. We're back with our guest, uh, George Brookman. Um, CEO of Western Canadian Digital Imaging and also known as Mr. Calgary, as I mentioned at the <laughs> opening of our show. So, George, before we went into commercial, you mentioned that you uh, became very rich, making an annual income of 13000 bucks in 1968, yes. um, uh, which was great. It was and, outstanding. Uh, yeah. Um, so, and your first job out of uh, high school was with uh, Woodward's. Woodworth, yes. and then uh, you in went the housewares to- department. I can still tell you anything you want to know about pots and pans, kettles, chinaware. I'm an expert. Call my wife. Um, and then you moved into real estate. I moved into real estate, residential real estate. As a broker, as an as, agent? As an agent. Yeah, well, then the structures were different in those days. You uh, you worked on a 100% commission. And um, so I, but my father had been in real estate for a number of years, so I was fairly comfortable with it. I didn't go to work with him, but I did go into the business mm-hmm. and spent uh, two or three years, uh, two years, I guess, so three years doing residential real estate. The company I was with was opening a new office in Edmonton and asked me, I was 24, if I would go up and run that office. And I moved up there and uh, to Edmonton with my wife and my brand new baby and we um, moved to Edmonton and then I decided I should get into the office leasing business and uh, it was interesting because this is what happens at that time it was you know things were booming and uh, life was good and I moved into the office leasing business just about the moment that the then premier Peter Lougheed decided to shut down the oil and gas business in Calgary you couldn't give office space away. That was about 1972, 73, and you literally couldn't give office space away. And I remember once um, Gerald Knowlton telling us that at that moment, it was 72, there was more office space vacant in New York City. Now think about this, David. More office space vacant in New York City than there was office space in all of Canada. All of Canada didn't have as much office space as was vacant in New York. And if you remember, that's when the Reichmans went in. They bought nine office buildings. And I think it was within two or three years, they were all filled. And we were in the same boat here. So did you work for Knowlton? I worked for Knowlton, yeah. Mm-hmm. I worked for Knowlton for a year. Uh, when Gerald retired, I was asked to MC his retirement party. And I started off by saying, it took me longer to prepare 
for this retirement party than I actually worked for you, Gerald. <laughs> <laughs> but I then went with Manulife into their uh, real estate investment. By the way, I don't know if you know, but Barclay Street Real Estate yep. is the third generation of Knowlton. I did not know that. Knowlton was bought by Tarot, Yeah. and Barclay bought Tarot. I did not know that. Is that right? Yes. Oh, that's very interesting. So I'm so, back in the old office. Yeah, so we're closing a circle here. That's you right. You come and work for me now. Yeah, I could. Yeah. I could. Do you have your license still? Yeah, no, but I could get it back. Okay, perfect. So after Knowlton, what was the next step? Manulife. And uh, basically at Knowlton, and Gerald would say this too, I happened to join them at a time when there was literally nothing happening. So I went for a year doing that. and Doing nothing? Doing, well, working my... <laughs> Working like heck. Your what? Working my butt off. Oh, okay. Trying to lease office space, but there was, everybody had more office space than they knew what to do with, right? And every office you went into, you'd say, you want to lease some office space? And they'd say, what are you talking about? We, we'd like to lease 50% of our space. Does it sound familiar? Yeah. We have been through this before. Anyway, uh, then Manulife came along, and I had an opportunity to join Manulife, and they were, they were keen on doing a real estate development in Calgary, which we did. Funny story. We built, in 1974, I guess, we opened a building on the corner of 5th Street and 7th Avenue in Calgary. It was a 13-story building. Nice little building. Rented it. I remember the, the rent was $5.90 gross. That included your operating costs per square foot. Leased it up very fast. And last year or two years ago, Manulife tore it down. And I phoned my old boss in Toronto and I said, hey, Don, they tore our building down. He said, you think they could have waited till I died for heaven's sakes? <laughs> So overall, how many years did you spend in real estate? Well, if you include by from 1971 or 72, uh, and through my ATCO years to 1984 when I bought West Canadian, so um, that's so, so 12 why, years, why? 12, 13 years. So this is a big change, right? This yes. is a kind of uh, really a, an impressive change, but also a big change from going to, you know, becoming an expert in real estate, um, both residential and commercial, to the printing world. Yes, it was crazy. What, what made that decision? Well, what helped you make that first decision? First of all, I don't know if you've ever read Lee Iacocca's first book, but he opens up by saying, if I'd known how tough this was going to be, I would never have started in the first place when he turned, turned Chrysler around. Yes. So what happened was, um, in 1982, 83, we had the National Energy Program come into Canada, although I think in Houston and Denver, they were feeling it as well. And again, office space just dropped like a stone. And a friend of mine was the senior partner at Pricewaterhouse, and he came along to me and he said, I've got this company, it's in some trouble, but I think that a young guy with some energy could maybe turn it around. And he said, um, here's the thing, if it works, you're going to end up owning a nice company someday, and if it doesn't work, you can always go back and back in the real estate business. And so I was uh, 36 the first time he approached me, and I was 37 when I bought it, June 18th, 1984, so 33 years ago this, this year. And um, it was a challenge. I could tell you, I could talk for an hour about just about those challenges. But today, it's a, a really terrific company. What did you know about printing when you bought the company? Nothing. Mm -hmm. now, I, I think I owned a Brownie Hawkeye camera, which I knew how to roll the film into, and that was about it, because we also owned a photo lab. And we were a microfilm company, and uh, 
and a reproduction house, which blue in those days we called blueprints and yeah, blueprinting yeah. and what have you. And I knew nothing about it. So it's principles of business, though, right? So yeah, I want to talk about this because, as you know, this is uh, uh, our show is kind of geared towards entrepreneurship. Absolutely. And uh, this is a big change from you know working for Atco or or, or uh, Manulife, getting a salary to you know taking the risk and moving uh, to a completely different world. So. Was there, except of this guy at uh, PricewaterhouseCooper uh, that gave you opportunity, was there any other influences that made you make such a decision? It's a big decision. Too. I guess if you really were honest about it, the idea of owning my own company really appealed to me. And so that was what, this probably wasn't going to be the choice I would have made, but the idea of having a company, the company was already 30 years old at the time I bought it. It, was, it had a lot of appeal. And um, I can tell you that about seven months after I went there, I went back to my old boss at ATCO and I said, I got to come back. I said, this is, this is insanity. And Ron, was, Ron Southern owned the company and he was very strong about not rehiring people. So uh, my little boss, Otto Steiner, who's a short Swiss German fellow, he said, I'll, I'll give me a week and I'll see what I can do. So a week later we met in the same bar and uh, he said... Okay, I've talked to Ron, I've talked to Norm, they're going to bring you back. I said, I'm not coming. He said, <laughs> and with his German accent, he said, what? what? I said, I'm not coming back. I'm going to ride this thing into the ground or I'm going to ride it into the sky, but I'm not going to give up. And uh, so that was kind of the turnaround moment. And uh, I remember that that point because when you're going through these things where companies are going under, you can't sleep and you can't eat and you're perspiring at night and you're worried. And I remember my wife one night in the middle of the night, she said to me, uh, you didn't create this, you're trying to solve it. And she said, you're embarrassed or you feel embarrassed because you think everybody thinks you did this, but the reality is you're trying to solve it. And that was kind of a turnaround moment for me. And from there, West Canadian has really thrived. I mean, um, Today, it's you know we're going through the same recession that everybody in Alberta yeah. is going through, and we've had layoffs and we've had setbacks. But the reality is, the company is still very sound. So I want to talk about this kind of moment um, that your wife has described, mm-hmm. and ask you about when you buy a company, um, and I went through the same process. But when you buy a company. Do you, did you adopt the culture that they have, or did you try to change the culture to something that you thought would be better? Well, well first of all, <clears throat> the man that I bought the company from is still a very good friend of mine. He's an older man now, but we, we, we had a, I had a different philosophy, but we didn't we didn't com, com, combat. We didn't have combative moments or anything. I, he moved out of the building soon after I took over, and we began to change the way we did things. But the real trick was in trying to get the name out. And, and at the time, nobody knew what our company did. I mean, they had a reputation, but they had, but the reality was that, you know, we described, I mean, like somebody saying, well, what does Barclay Real Estate do? And you'd say, well, it's the same as uh, A.E. LePage. We used to describe ourselves in terms of what our competitors did. And I really wanted to change that. And we just had to bring a new personality to the job. And we did a number of things at the time. and uh, Such as? Well, I'll tell you the cookie story. Um, one morning I get to work and there's a call from an architect. And he's livid. And we've delivered a bunch of drawings to them and he's gone into a presentation and some of the drawings were upside down and backwards or whatever they were. And so 
he said, I got to talk to you about this, George, right now. So I get in my car and I drive over, but I stop. There was a there was a bakery in Mount Royal Village then. I stopped and I bought a dozen chocolate chip cookies. And I walked in and I said to the receptionist, um, I'm going to go in that office. And about two minutes after I go in, bring in two cups of coffee and these chocolate chip cookies. And I walked in and, the, and this fellow was, was up. His arms were waving and he was just ready to tear <laughs> my hair out. And it was, I had more of it and it was darker then. And all of a sudden the door opens and in she comes with the cookies and the coffee. And the fellow says, and he sat down, immediately sat down. And he said, who brought the cookies? She says, uh, George brought his cookies this morning. Oh, takes a cookie. Well, look, George, this just can't happen ever again. I said, no, I understand. And the subject changed me and I went back. So I went back to the office. I said, every day we probably make some mistake, but we never know. So from that day to this, all of our sales reps get 10 or 15 boxes of cookies every every week, and they take them out to all of our customers. And here's what's amazing. If we ever stop doing it, I get phone calls. <laughs> Do we have to buy a minimum amount from you in order to deliver cookies? So what's the cookies budget? At the $3,500 a month. I see. And it all goes through one cookie store. And if I ever stop, I don't think she's going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, today, uh, in today's business world, the words, the words mission, vision, and purpose are very common and everybody. Yeah. In 1984, was there mission, vision, purpose when you bought? When was there... When did you kind of create well, your mission? Well, I think vision? our mission, vision, and purpose at, in 1984 was survive in capital letters. And then as we moved forward, I was very fortunate. I hired two or three young people who were very tuned to the technology world because I wasn't. And we actually started scanning documents before anybody else in Western Canada, maybe anybody else in Canada. And uh, I remember we went down to, uh, two of my ladies went down to New York to a conference. And they came back and they said, there's, there's 50 different types of software for scanning documents. And I said, pick anyone you want, because I said, we have a good enough reputation now that whichever one we pick, the companies in Calgary will adopt. And that was exactly what happened. And so we began scanning documents. Um, we used to send, initially we sent documents down to Kansas City to be scanned. And it was a company called Scanning America. And we sent our documents down there. And pretty soon we said, well, we better buy a little scanner. And of course, in those days, a scanner, you know, a scanner that you can buy at Shoppers Drug Mart now for $89 was probably $289,000 in those days. But that's how we started. And we moved into technology very heavily. And, and the uh, mission, vision, and purpose that West Can uh, Canadian has today, what, what are they? Well, you know, we, we want to stay ahead of the technology. We want to. We have a very clear mission statement at our office. We uh, we're very active in the community. We've always believed. Let, let me back up, David. The issue for me has always been simple. No one on a job site or no one in an office ever unrolls a set of drawings or opens up a, a, a scan and goes, "Oh my gosh, these are wonderful drawings. They must have been done at West Canadian." That, that's never going to happen. Our product is basically same as every other product. So it's all in the delivery, it's all in the service, it's all in the reputation of the company, it's all in the image of the company. And that's what we work at all the time. And, you know, we stay modern, we invest a lot in equipment, we try to stay current, but the reality is it's all about, we want to be top of mind. When somebody needs that piece of paper photocopied, we want them to think of us first. And that's the hardest job of all. I see, and that's why where the cookies come in. That's where the cookies come in, that's right.
and not donuts, by the way. That's a real theory about that. You know who said told? You know who agrees with me? Warren Buffett. I read an article about Warren Buffett. He says, you don't take donuts because donuts make you fat. And your mother never made donuts, did she? But your mother made cookies. So that's a great idea. <laughs> Sandra, did you write it down? Cookies to the office. <laughs> um, so you, you, you kind of, uh, you mentioned that your statement or your your core mission vision has been always the same service yep. service top of technology mind. top of mind yes um, and and how do you trickle it down to 300 employees today in so many locations well there's no doubt that's a challenge and, and it's particularly a challenge when you know we were we, we dropped about a hundred employees two years ago when this when the oil price dropped the recession hit and that's very demoralizing and we've worked hard to try to keep it up over the years, over the years, I've done crazy things. I mean, I took 100 employees to the movie one night. I've done that two or three times. And afterwards, out for spaghetti or pizza or whatever. Um, you know, we, we try to stay in touch with our employees. We try to stay in touch with them on a personal basis. But I will say to you that the last two years have been extremely challenging for everybody. And it's been tough on our staff. And it's been tough on our executives. And, and it's been tough on me. So I feel today... It was funny, yesterday morning I came to work and I thought, this is the first time in months that I've really felt like I'm back in touch with the business and, and with the people. Walked through the plant, said hello to everybody and had a nice chat. But it's been it's been a challenge. So what keeps you awake at night now? Well, there's no doubt keeping, keeping ahead of the technology, trying to keep ourselves current. Demand is a problem. And, you know, demand is beginning to come back, but, you know, our basic business is the oil business the energy business, I should say, and and the development business. And both of those have taken a hit in the last 24 months. So what's happening today is there's no question there's increasing demand, but margins are paper thin. And you've got employees who are looking for raises, employees that are looking for for more holidays and what have you, and you're trying to run it on a, on a, on a, on a thin margin and a thin staff and you know you really think about hiring you think about buying new equipment so those are the things that keep you awake uh, we have one minute before we have to go to our second break um, how do you enjoy writing a blog I, well I haven't written it for a while but I do like writing a blog the Brooklyn Dodger and uh, that comes right out of my dad's baseball team and um, over the years I've given a I'm, you know I have if you check my Facebook page, you'll find that my profile says often wrong, but never in doubt. <laughs> uh, we reached our second commercial break. Once again, open a new tab. This time, log into George Brookman's blog, www.thebrookmandodger.com. I should follow him on Twitter, like him on Facebook, and connect with George on LinkedIn. And check, the windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror blog by George. Oh, I like that one. Uh, we'll be back with you uh, other side of the commercial. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. tuned into taking care of business with david wallach to reach the program today please call 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 you may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com that's d-i-v-i wallach at gmail.com now back to this week's show and we are back for the home stretch uh, with our uh, guest, um, George Brookman, at uh, Taking Care of Business. Um, George, you know, uh, we mentioned uh, at the beginning, and, and you kind of repeated almost in every answer you gave us uh, the importance of um, that you feel for community service, volunteering, being involved. And the question I have for you is, um, as an entrepreneur, and you mentioned the stuff that keeps you awake at night. As an entrepreneur, you have to deal with employees. You have to deal with technology. You have to deal with account payable, account receivable. Mm -hmm. How important is it to kind of set up time to also be involved with the community when you're so busy running your own business? Well, first of all, I I think it's very important that you build community. And I've always believed that. I think my father taught me that, and I've believed it. It's interesting, David, that the reality is I became a Rotarian quite young, and um, the man who brought me the West Canadian and the man who owned West Canadian were both Rotarians and had said, this fellow is a fellow we can talk to and make a deal with. And so in some ways, you can look at, at Rotary and say, it, it created this opportunity for me. What I observed today, you know, it was... You know, you know, Rotary is meet every Tuesday at noon hour or the Calgary Stampede. You have a monthly board meetings, but you had committee meetings every week and Stampede Foundation, Flames Foundation. First of all, you meet tremendous fellows, tremendous, successful, generally successful people, men and women. But today I find younger people, and I won't say millennials because that's not quite fair, but younger people, they're more inclined to say, I'm going to donate my time to run for the cure or donate my time to biking for 
Alzheimer's or whatever, and they do one big thing. But in terms of the ongoing weekly, monthly meetings, they they're not as inclined to do that. And so you see organizations like Rotary, and churches are another one, are just they just don't have the growing. Uh, memberships that we had when we were when we were younger, and I think we're losing something in that. I, I'd like to see people get more involved. Can I challenge you on this? Sure. You know, I you'll be wrong, but go ahead. Yeah, I know. Uh, I'm just asking a question. I'm trying yeah. to figure out. <laughs> um, you know, I come from a community as well. Yes. And sometimes it seems to me that, um, and and I think you mentioned it in one of the interviews. The tug of war between the old regime and the new regime. Yes. It seems to me maybe sometimes you guys don't want to give the reins to the next generation. Now that's a very good comment. Actually, I have to agree with you. Yeah. Ooh, oh, uh, uh, mark it down, please. Yeah. Stand <laughs> <laughs> because there's no doubt that some, and, and I'll use Rotary as an example, but I can use the Stampede as well. There are volunteer committees. And, you know, they've been doing it since 1972, and they get together, and then they get together and socialize a bit, and all of a sudden somebody says, well, you should bring this 30-year-old in to start to begin the succession plan, and they look and say, well, no, they don't understand. And so you're absolutely right about that. We have to embrace young people and encourage them to come into the fold. Um, But I also think that what's changed a lot, well, first of all, you know, when, when I was growing up, my wife didn't work, right? So that was part of our social life. Today, almost all young parents, both parents work. They're happy to have spare time to spend with their children. So they're not as inclined to be committed to go to a, a meeting in the evening or a dinner meeting or a lunch every day, every week or whatever. So there's, the world is changing and we have to accept that. And I do. But I think we we, we need to be careful we don't lose some of the integrity that that brought to the table. And um, there was quite a good article one day, and I just, I wish I could remember the author, but he was talking about the fact that governments in some ways were sort of overseen by all these organizations, whether it was the churches or the Rotary Clubs or the Lions Clubs, they were sort of overseen. And they'd, but now the governments, we see what's happening. Governments are changing. They, they have more freewheeling and less criticism from these kind of organizations. So the world is changing. It'll be different. Um, and, and being such an active uh, community leader and, and volunteer and, and different boards, does it um, trickle down to your employees? Is, 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 is West Canadian em- kind of embracing no employees question. to be involved? Yes, we, we really encourage employees to be involved in the community. We give lots of time off and uh, for, for community or um, community activities. And um, we have several employees who are involved on stampede committees, for example. Um, interestingly, none of my employees are Rotarians, which is really interesting because that had such a huge impact on my life. But um, but they are involved in their communities, and we support them in whatever way we can. I see. Um, I want to ask you about one uh, specific charity event that you're involved in, and that is the Breakfast on the Bridge. Oh. Can you share with us that I'm story? I'm so proud of that. So first of all, people in, in the, may not know, Calgary had a bridge built several years ago, which is a very, very, it's a Calatrava bridge. It's designed by a Spanish architect, very controversial, and it's a covered bridge. And four years ago, a former mayor of ours had talked to me and said that the Military Family Resource Center in Calgary was needing a fundraiser, and did I, could I come up with a fundraiser to raise $50,000? So I decided to do a breakfast on the bridge 
Then I decided it should be on June the 21st, the longest day. And then I decided it should be a sunrise breakfast. So that meant that breakfast started at 5 o'clock in the morning here in Calgary. We brought in uh, former Chief of Defense Staff Rick Hilliard as our first speaker. And we sold out the bridge and we raised $168,000 the first year. And it was... So you kept the change? I kept the change, yeah. And it was an unbelievable (laughs) experience. It was raining and still people came and it was pitch black. We had candles all the way up the path. Well, this year we've done it. That was four years ago. We did it twice, equally successful. The second year we brought over General Decreet from Holland. It was the 100th anniversary of the uh, Dutch liberation. So we brought over General Decreet, decorated the whole bridge with tulips and painted bicycles. And it was just beautiful. Served croquetten and what have you. And then we skipped a year because my daughter got married. So I said, I'm not doing it this year. Mazel tov. <laughs> Mazel tov. <laughs> so then this year we did it again. And uh, we brought in Canada's chief of defense staff, or uh, minister of defense, Harjit Sejan. And this was the most successful yet. And everybody said, you better lower the price. The tickets are $1,000 each. This year I made the tickets $750. And we sold it out. I haven't got the final number yet, but I think we're going to have the most successful breakfast yet. It's a very unique event, and um, I make a lot of phone calls. I write a lot of notes. I wrote 400 personal notes, and uh, but people love it. And now it's reached the point where I see people on the street, and they go, how did the breakfast on the bridge go? Or are you going to do it again next year? So it created, it's creating its own little image. I see. Um, so you run with your partners, uh, West yeah. Canadian. Very, I'm doing less and less now. Yeah. But. You are involved in so many foundations. You're involved in so many charities. Yes. Where do you, when do you find time for George? Well, that's a question that a lot of people in my family ask. And my sister phoned me yesterday and said, are you coming out this weekend for the, she lives out in the Okanagan. And I said, no, I've got a dinner and I've got something else. And she said, oh. Anyway, you know what? I, I, I really loathe it when people say you have to develop a life balance. I just enjoy my life and, uh, you know, uh, some of my friends have said, you know, your hobby is is running charities and being at meetings. And I guess that's a hobby. I have fun doing it and I've met hundreds of wonderful people and uh, probably drank a little bit too much wine after meetings and <laughs> eaten some good food. So I just have fun. How many coffees do you have a day with uh, all those meetings? Ah, you know what? Good question. <laughs> I never drink coffee after 12 o'clock at noon. Oh, I see. You, you switched to, to alcohol. <laughs> you said it. I didn't. Well, as long as you don't go to meetings, you're uh, AA meetings, you're not. No, 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 alcoholic, that's right. right. No, that's right. So that's, no, no. that's good. That's cool. Um, you know, looking back, looking back now in hindsight uh, to that decision to move from a salary, you know, secured position at age 36, I think you mentioned. 36, yeah. 36, to an open, to a new kind of, you know, chapter yeah. in your life. What do you, what have you learned about yourself? Well, I have certainly learned that I'm doggedly determined. Um, I've learned that I'm not afraid to phone somebody up and say, I need your help. And I think that's very important. And you know, there's a network of people that everyone develops. But if they don't know that you need some help or you just want to sit and talk about what you're doing or whatever, uh, they, they won't reach out to you and say you need help. So I've learned that about myself. I've, but I've learned never give up. And I know that sounds very trite and, and sort of thin. But the reality is 
you can never give up and you just have to keep going and keep making the calls. Um, my father's, one expression that I keep with me all the time was that nothing happens until somebody sells something. Now, I want to say why he told me that. He said, if you want to take a young lady out for dinner in a movie, what do you do? You don't phone her up and say, you want to go for supper in a movie? You phone her up and say, hey, there's a movie on and it's been nominated for four Academy Awards. And afterwards, I thought I'd take you to this new pizza place. You're selling. Nothing, nothing happens until somebody sells something. And, you know, there's a few law firms around right now and accounting firms that are learning that maybe they got just a little bit uh, fat and happy and now they're out selling, right? So you have to keep selling. And I think that's the most important thing you can do, whether it's raising money for breakfast on the bridge, trying to sell uh, drawings for West Canadian or or uh, doing a radio show. <laughs> Any regrets along the way? Oh, yeah. Um, can yeah. you share one or two with us? Um, one. Uh, you know, uh, I had a friend, Joe Brager, and he said, George, your biggest weakness is that you, you epitomize ready, fire, aim. And I think my biggest regret is I wish I'd taken a little bit more time to make some decisions and just thought about them a little bit longer. Do you think you'll be an entrepreneur if you had taken I don't know the answer to that. Sometimes you have to go with your gut, right? But yes, I've made a few, uh, I've made a few decisions that were you know, off the cuff that I've lived to regret. <laughs> um, if you had today to mentor a person that wants to become an entrepreneur, yeah. what are the two or three pieces of advice you'll give that person in order to shorten the way to success and avoid some mistakes? All right, well, number one is very important. Whatever you're doing today, make yourself successful at that. You may not think that's what you want to do. You may think that if only I was this, I'd be successful. Forget that. Be successful at whatever you're doing. If you're running a McDonald's coffee shop, be successful. Be the best guy in that coffee shop. Show up 10 minutes early. Stay 10 minutes late. Be the one that says, don't worry, I'll take care of that. Don't worry, I'll take care of that. If you've heard me speak, David, I always end any speech I give with 10 words that are only two letters each. 10 words, two letters each. If it is to be, it is up to me. And I think people forget, nobody else is gonna do it for you. You've gotta do it yourself. You've gotta be the one that's hustling. You've gotta be the one that says yes and has a big smile on their face. You've gotta be the one that when the boss says, I wanna send somebody to a conference in New York City and I wanna send David because he's the guy that I think has the most enthusiasm. Enthusiasm, show up on time, and whatever you're doing today, that's what you should make yourself successful at. What is the one thing that you're most proud of in your life? Oh, I have, oh, easy. It's a, it's I a list, I know. Two, two amazingly successful and wonderful daughters. Uh, what do they do? My, well, my daughter in Toronto ran the company that I started in Toronto, and we sold that three, four years ago to Rico Canada, Rico, the big Japanese yeah, company. Yeah. And they, and she is now in charge of their North American marketing. And my youngest daughter in Vancouver works for the same company. And she's also reporting to a man in Houston now. They have two grandchildren in Vancouver. My oldest daughter doesn't have any children. But my two daughters are my two best friends. I can talk to them, probably talk to them daily. We have a wonderful relationship with them. And uh, there's no question that if you said on your last day, what was the best thing you did? Raise those two daughters. 
Um, my last question. Sure. Uh, if you had an opportunity to invite two or three people that inspire you to lunch, who would you invite? Oh, my goodness. You should have asked me that question before. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I have to be honest. I'm, I'm, um, I'm impressed with um, William and Kate, so I'm going to put them on my list. Um, my my great friend and mentor was Ron Southern from ATCO, who just passed away, passed away yeah. and I could never spend enough time with him. And uh, I would like to sit down and spend some time with Fareed Zakaria from CNN. I watch him every Sunday. I never miss his program, and uh, I think he has insights that we could all build on. So. George, you know, I probably have another 15 or 20 or 100 questions to you, uh, but we unfortunately reached the end of our uh, show today. Thank you, David. I've really and, enjoyed this, uh, by the way. <laughs> I'm glad I, we kind of had a blast with you. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it's uh, the end of our show today, Taking Care of Business. I want to, take, uh, to thank our guest, George Brookman, CEO of West Canadian Digital Imaging, and a very, very successful and active community leader. Uh, next week, uh, my guest is going to be Leslie Conway, former president of Hopewell Residential and a consultant as well as a community supporter. Uh, and, a, and a good friend of mine. And a good friend of George. Uh, as always, thank you, Aaron Keller, our engineer, Cassandra Hennison, our production assistant, and Winston Price, our senior executive producer, if you are awake, and the entire uh, Voice America uh, host services. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, like us on Facebook, and connect with me on LinkedIn. I would love to hear from you. My email is dvwallach at gmail.com. Thank you all for joining us today, and I'll meet you here Tuesday, August 1st, 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific, your host, David Wallach. Thank you for listening to Taking Care of Business. Please join David Wallach again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until we talk again, make your week as great as you want it.